Hey, Painless Pals, it's Chris Hartwick from Painless Networking. Joining me in a minute, I'm going to have two great guests, Amy Potter, who's at BMO Harris, and Julie Heffercamp, who's at Mosaic. A couple of great ladies, uh, great chats on selling in sports, uh, selling and working in experiential, understanding other, other folks, and the importance of curiosity. We get later also the outlook of women in sports and events navigating through uh, all this recent Me Too movement stuff. But before we do, if it's your first time here, we just quickly explain what a painless podcast is. It's simple concept. We just connect with good human beings like Amy and Julie from the sports and event marketing world. Not sound bites, but actual conversations with smart, interesting, generous human people. People who share how they've been successful, the role of mentoring and networking and shaping their careers. It's part of what we do as the Painless Networking Group, where we're there 24-7-365 at painless.network, our great new website, help you simply directly connect with other members, painlessly posting and sharing jobs or internships or projects, maybe find yourself a new job or vet somebody for a partnership, find a vendor, or just check in with some other folks, what's going on? So join nearly 700 professionals who are interacting and sharing over 300 different jobs and internships over the last few months already. There's over 50 active jobs up there right now, painless.network. All right, you know, we're also always about supporting fellow painless networkers, especially when they're so supportive of painless. And if you have any website strategy, design, or building needs, Talk to Vinay or Dave at Monroe Star. They built the sweet painless website at painless.network. Head to MonroeStar.com. That's M-O-N-R-O-E-S-T-A-R.com. Check out their work and thank them for supporting Painless Networking. Oh, and uh, for you now, a quick member benefit. Chicago Sport and Social Clubs have been a great new partner with a, a bunch of Really great offers for members, and I uh, love having them on board, and they've got another offer for us. Volleywood, it's back, baby. Biggest beach volleyball tournament paired with the summer's best one-day music festival is returning Saturday, August. No, 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 no. Let's try that again. It returns Saturday, July 14th to North Avenue Beach. It's a hybrid tournament festival featuring the best DJs, delicious food, stock bars, all with the incredible skyline and lakefront as your backdrop with beach volleyball going on. It's a great time. This year's headliners are Matoma and Thomas Jack. Full day event is sure to deliver good vibes, VIP lounges, and full amenities. Use the code CHICAGO5 to get five bucks off a general admission or VIP ticket at VollywoodChicago.com. You know, volley as in volleyball. Vollywood.com and the code CHICAGO5. number five. Don't spell it out. Chicago and then the number five. Learn more about Chicago Sport and Social. Good, the good stuff they're doing on Painless Pod 44 with President and Good Guy Chris Hastings. All right, enough of me. I'm going to get on with my chat with Potter and Heifer Camp right now. It's so good, chock full of such good stuff. We're going to break it up into two episodes. Here's part one of what we recorded June 7th at Mosaic. Looks at these two ladies' backgrounds, how they found their passion for work and mentoring others, and then a whole bunch of other good stuff. In part two, we're going to dive deeper into uh, specifics and things that they dealt with and, and continue to deal with as, as women, especially in light of Me Too. So enough of me already. Let's get connected with Amy and Julie. Part one. Well, welcome back to the Painless Podcast today. I'm thrilled to have a a pair of excellent guests. Not just not just one. We're doubling up the fun today Woo-hoo! with uh, some woohoo's in the house with uh, Amy <laughs> Potter, head of U.S. sponsorship for BMO Harris Bank in Chicago, and uh, Julie Heffercamp, 
Senior Account Director, recently promoted. Congrats, John. Yeah, Julie. Uh, Mosaic Sales Solutions, uh, experiential marketing, big experiential marketing agency here in Chicago. And we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, we'll probably even break it up into two parts because we've got all kinds of good things to talk about. Uh, we'll also look at uh, Amy is what you, the immediate past president of Wise, is that right? Yeah. And oh, yeah. Julie is the current president of Wise Women in Sports and events, I, I, events uh, here in Chicago, that chapter. And so we're going to talk some about that. So we've got all, all kinds of good stuff uh, that, that uh, we can hit on today. And I envision between the three of us, us going way over time, like I said, and breaking it into, into a couple of parts. But what I like to do first, uh, folks listening would be familiar with this, would be to give a little quick description 30 seconds or less, which is probably not possible for either of you, but um, a quick description of your current job uh, and role. What are you, what are you uh, focusing on on a day-to-day basis? We'll start with Heffercamp at uh, Mosaic. Amazing. Well, hi, guys. Um, so my role at Mosaic, currently I have been here for eight years, about to start the ninth. Um, really enjoyed my time. And, and what it consists of is helping oversee our CPG division. So experiential marketing, for those of you that aren't familiar, it's making sure that you can provide a truly branded experience. Um, I have the benefit right now of overseeing our Nestle business specifically. Great team here. And we are trying to put activations in the field that further um, a lot of their, their brands. So it's uh, a real joy and a real treat um, and works with some amazing humans. How big, uh, Mosaic is 200 plus people in Chicago, is that right? Something yep, like that? about 200 in the Chicago office, but I started here when the Chicago office, I was number 16. So wow. to see the growth over that eight year period has been a, a true privilege. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. It's been awesome. That is, that, yeah, that's crazy. Congrats on the on the promotion again. Well, thank we'll you. We'll talk some Woo-hoo. more about the experiential marketing world. We'll come back to that, but uh, Woohoo, Potter! Yes, yes. Uh, tell us, uh, what, what are you up to? The, what head of U.S. sponsorship for BMO Harris? I mean, that sounds important. It's glamorous. It Someone's got to do it. That's why they hired me. Um, I basically oversee our sponsorship portfolio in the U.S., so I have the opportunity to work with different teams, festivals, organizations that we support. But my main job is to figure out how I can support all the lines of business. So how I bring. The brand to life connected to a partner, partner property like the Bulls or the Blackhawks, and then also find ways to help our lines of business provide unique experiences to their clients and prospects and really bring the brand to life. So it is a fun job. It's uh, People don't think that I'm a banker, but I'll tell you, I've learned a lot about banking and I still use my sales experience across the board because you think like a seller, you want to be on the front line, what tools are you giving your front line, whether it's a mortgage broker to a private net worth relationship manager, what tools are you giving them to help move the needle for the bank? Yeah, when you so for folks not as familiar with maybe the banking world in, in general, when you talk about lines of, of business at at uh, BMO Harris, you're talking about, you mentioned a little bit of it. You've got mortgage, you've got maybe private banking, mm-hmm. you've got retail or general mm-hmm. consumer banking, you've got corporate middle market banking. Correct, commercial, global asset management, yeah. okay. everything. So it's a unique opportunity when we sit down and negotiate with a property, whether it's the Bucks or the Bulls or the Blackhawks. We will really look at what each line of business needs to help cultivate relationship, whether it's a unique experience where a small business owner has lunch with the owner of the bowls, or 
a high net worth client gets to provide their grandchild a unique experience behind the scenes and meets Benny the Bull. Those things that money can't buy or another bank isn't offering them that opportunity. Tickets are tickets. Everybody has them. But it's how we really leverage those relationships. How do you work, probably jumping way ahead, but how do you work, because you're serving a lot of different masters, and I just know from my experience in, in banking and uh, years ago now, but that you know, with the needs of a retail banking are very different, even from something that you could consider, consider similar like private banking, but definitely different from um, you know, credit lines with uh, um, you know, construction or real estate businesses mm-hmm. and things like that. How do you help spread that uh, around? I know you're good at measuring ROI and those kinds of things. I'm assuming you have to do a lot of that to say, okay, this one, these guys retail or real estate or whatever are due. How, how, you know, what's a thing that you've learned of how to spread it around? Well, I think my sales experience. So we can talk later yeah. about that, but I sold for 17 years. So I was thinking coming over to a brand would be different. And many friends joked and said, oh, it's going to be easier. You're going to have so much of an easier time because you won't be selling. Well, that is completely false. We are selling to every line of business how this sponsorship can work for them. Because in a bank, marketing is not a revenue generator. So for us, it's truly about how we're bringing value to each of those lines of business. And it's sitting down with each leader and figuring out what that sales group needs to put in their portfolio or their arsenal to close deals. So it's to me, it's exciting because I still have that passion and love for sales, but it gives us the opportunity to learn what everybody needs. And every line of business is unique. Well, so you don't have to. The thing is, it's probably not, or you find maybe have found some ways, but it's not really possible to spread it around. Not everybody's going to be happy within the organization with this deal or that deal. You just try to get as much as you can to have it make sense, I'm, I'm guessing? Yes, we spread it around and make sure that everybody understands why they're doing it. You can't sign a contract on the marketing floor and let it live. You really have to have frontline and leadership buying in and being invested in a part of it or a partnership agreement won't work because yes, it's nice, but we have to activate it and bring it to life. And so that's the other side of the role is having all the elements we need and all the contract negotiations done. Then we have to bring it to life and really have our bankers and our frontline and our mortgage brokers really bringing the partnerships to life. And I think we'll come back, like you said, a little bit more on that stuff later. But you're not just Chicago. You've got certainly, you just came down from this morning from meetings in Milwaukee with the Bucks, I believe. Are you in other markets as well? So we're an eight-state bank in the U.S. In Canada, BMO is across the entire country. So we have, uh, we work closely with them. My boss is up there. We have great opportunities um, to learn from each other, north-south, as we call it. It really is... A unique opportunity to leverage. But here in the States, we call ourselves a small eight-state bank that has a lot of buying power because of who is our who is uh, the mothership up in Canada. So it's a great opportunity. So where else do you, when you're doing deals, events, sponsorships, teams, sports teams, and, and lifestyle, what are the, what's the footprint that you guys have? So we have Arizona, St. Louis, Kansas City, you Chicago. Louis? Yeah, St. Louis. Oh, stop it. I know. She's a she's a Cardinals fan. We don't hold it against Can't her. Can't turn it off. St. Louis. <laughs> let's see. Kansas City. I think I said that. Uh, Minnesota. 
Chicago and Illinois proper, as well as we have high net worth offices in Vegas and New York and kind of those big areas where everyone has. But banking now, I'm holding up my phone for those of you that can't see. (laughs) Banking now is on your phone. So it's how you create those unique experiences and those opportunities and touch points. But people don't go into a bank as much as they do now. When you have a life change, maybe a mortgage and you need face-to-face or you're merging assets or separating assets, you'll probably go into a bank. But it's truly not, you don't walk by a bank every day and say, oh, I think I'm going to change banks. Well, that but that's where the experiential mm-hmm. piece of marketing and, and coming to your consumer elsewhere is more critical than ever, right? 100%. All right. Well, good tie, good transition back to our experiential marketing guru, Julie Hafferkamp. What's, um, let's start with, you talked about that that little cow town down in, uh, with, oh, with, a man. Big, with a big arch over it that everybody down there thinks is so great. But uh, <laughs> where, where did you grow up? And, and uh, tell us a little bit of the story of, uh, you know, I know you went to college at Mizzou. How did you pick a place like that? And then how did you end up in uh, working in the big city of Chicago. So that little cow town is my beloved hometown. Um, are you so from I'm, St. Louis, St. Louis, or are you from one of the burbs? So I am from St. Louis, but it's county. So town and country, Chesterfield. Um, you know, they always ask the St. Louis question, where'd you go to high school? Right. Um, Parkway West. Okay. For there, those that's that know what for... that is. Um, but ultimately, you know, really kind of idyllic childhood and, and nothing to compl- I absolutely loved it down there. Really big sports town, which I think really instilled in me with the love I still have for sports. You know, what we play. Um, my dad played baseball at Mizzou. My mom was down there. And so ultimately transitioned. Uh, we looked around a lot. I actually looked probably on a, an eight college town road trip um, in an RV with my parents. Come on, I was, mor- I was mortified, mortified awesome. back in the day. But when I looked at everything, I had sworn up and down I would never go to Mizzou. Like promised to really? the hilt that I would never do it. And ultimately, when it came down to it, I, got, I had gotten a full ride scholarship there. And when we pulled up in the RV uh, to a place, you know, outside a, a popular bar and a watering hole, <laughs> my dad got out of the RV and he had his, you know, socks on up to mid calf. And I was just, Dad, get back in the RV, like I'm, you know, like they're gonna know who I am. But I just, um, the the college campus spoke to me, and maybe it was just because my, you know, my parents had been there and, and the background I had had. But ultimately, I fell in love with it. I changed after I was there freshman year. I changed to the J school, which um, in some regard is, is pretty and it remains pretty heralded. Um, so I was fortunate to, to, I say that they do, they, they graduate. Um, That's some the really, East Coast UVA. I know, right? I, guys, in the, we'll I, I'm getting a, the stink eye over here, yeah. but, but Mizzou is, uh, let's say like this, they at least try and make sure that they are prepping people for the field and what it is. So I had gotten an advertising degree. In doing so, I also was doing Spanish. My junior year, I decided to study abroad. I lived in uh, Spain for a little bit, about eight months, and probably did a lot more partying than studying, but it was (laughs) some of the best times ever. And I came back and then I finished, I got a dual degree. So I graduated with a, you know, a journalism degree and a Spanish degree. Finished college, uh, and then almost immediately came up to Chicago. I had, uh, uh, you know, within I think two weeks of graduating, it was here. I was living on a friend's couch. I had to make a decision in that moment between a free ninety-nine job down in Dallas or a seven dollar an hour job here in sh- you know Chicago. Mm-hmm. I chose the money maker, and I was like, man, I'm gonna really bring in the dollars here. <laughs> uh, I couldn't afford rent. I, I couldn't make it uh, on seven dollars an hour. I got a 
$25 an hour job at night, kind of moonlighting um, through uh, USMP and doing some Anheuser-Busch work. Ah, The program was actually called Making Friends, but you know, you can do it on, uh, what is what, 32 an hour or a little bit. So my parents, they made a deal with me. They said, hey, we know you're working 100 hour, to we- 100 hour weeks. Uh, we'll give you three months. And so if you, they, they were going to pay my, uh, I paid for school, and they're going to say we're going to pay your, what's it called, your, your, not down payment, but your rent for three months. And if you can do it, you need to get a full-time job. Uh, and so even though I was working, it was that was the uh, and and lo and behold, on the actual day of three months, um, I got another full time offer and I was ready to go. So it was almost like I just kind of put that into the universe that I had no other alternative. I had to make it work. You know, if she's listening, big shout out to SJ and and the folks at you know Revolution Woo-hoo! for even the start of seven dollars an hour. I mean, sometimes I think that maybe it, we'll touch on it, but the themes of hard work gets you a lot of places. Um, and I. Who knows if I did a good job or not, but I definitely wasn't willing to put, I was willing to put in the hours. Um, I had to. Um, and so that kind of instilled in me uh, just a work ethic. I had three jobs in college. Like it, nothing was really handed to me. And so you do that and I get to Chicago and, and I haven't left. So in 13 years, they haven't kicked me out of the city yet. So <laughs> must be doing something right or, or at least paying my parking tickets. Who knows? And how but, did you, you know, it was the same, the most recent podcast before before yours was Sean Callahan, oh, yeah. a fellow yeah, Mizzou Sean. J School grad, and and he did the same thing. He's like, I'm going to Chicago. I got it. I got mm-hmm. here. How did you pick? What you know? Why Chicago and not uh, New York or? Something on the West Coast was it? So the at the time I did have different offers. Um, I wanted to stay in sports. I wanted to say so. The, um, the job that I had was in sports marketing, which I was immediately drawn to. And to be honest, fifty five. You know, if you shoot down fifty five, I can get home within five hours. Right. So it was enough to have distance. Um, obviously, I, I adore my family, but I you know I think that is a really important time in, in a young person's life to branch out and and feel like you can make it on your own. Uh, I loved Chicago. I loved everything that it it offered. Uh, but I, I also love Midwest values. I, I think I, I will forever. It'll be a huge part of my heart. <laughs> it sounds super corny, but I just think you can travel a lot of places and we treat folks differently, I believe. It doesn't mean better or worse. I just think it's different and I happen to ascribe to it. Well, I, I would agree with you. So you had a scholarship, you said, at Mizzou. Was that a sports or, or uh, brains uh, scholarship uh, that you had? I, I wish it was sports. I had, I had torn my knee and, and I uh, took so my soccer scholarship with whatever it may have been kind of went to the went to the dust but I did I did play uh uh, in that intramural, but you played on the. Uh, we traveled to all Big Twelves. It oh, was like Big a, Twelve a at the time. Club yeah, the team? club team. So okay. I played club soccer. Uh, it was for academics. So I had two scholarships. Um, something that's a little known fact. We were. I was on a George C. Brooks scholarship to Mizzou, um, which afforded quite a bit of money per year. Which actually, I was. Uh, I'm part Native American, so really? a lot of people don't. They won't immediately look at that. It's on my grandma's side, so Osage Indian. Uh, you had to do a lot of diversity elements mm-hmm. to, to receive that scholarship. Um, I think it's like 33 or so are picked a year. And for all four years, you had to have requirements that you did on campus, um, classes, et cetera. Um, and then I also had um, something else, like I think through my dad's work. But yeah, it was a full ride. What did you, in, in that case, I imagine knowing you a little bit, <laughs> that doing these different diverse activities was was probably almost second nature to you, but maybe it wasn't. I mean, was that a turning point that you had to go do those things? Did you, you know, see things you hadn't seen give you new confidence or was that already instilled at that point? Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I think it, it gets into my, it, 
without being melodramatic, it absolutely changed my view of almost everything. Um, we, I think you look at me and it, it's pretty obvious. I'm a, I'm a Caucasian, I'm a blonde. I, I've lived a very privileged life. And I think going into rooms or being ex exposed to things where people have had to struggle or fight for things or go through just different experiences than I have, um, I've always looked at it differently. Not that I didn't before, but fundamentally from that moment. I think when you look back at some of the things that Mizzou specifically has faced over the last couple of years, my heart breaks because I know the efforts, but I also know some of the realities of, of what they've kind of overcome. Um, but yeah, without a doubt, I mean, I've, I've felt that we, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, and that's to listen to each other. <laughs> and it's to make sure that other people's stories and their voices are heard. Um, and if I, in some small way, can contribute to any of that, uh, that's my responsibility. It's, it's a fundamental responsibility to do so. And some of that had to be, um, you, you had to have witnessed that. Um, uh, I think, you know, had some of that example provided to you around you of growing up to have mm -hmm. that kind of empathy and open-mindedness. Was that something from parents, from, you know, your community you grew up in, from a, from a teacher, from a coach? A uh, combination of all those, like how, how does you know? I'm always curious if people, we need more people that are wired like that with empathy. Yeah. How, how do you think that you you came to that? Uh, you know, there's I think there's a couple of things. I definitely give a lot of credit to my parents. I mean, I. Uh, you know, when you look back, I don't think you ever can realize as a, as a youngster how valuable great parents are and, and the impact they can play on someone's life. My parents, we were I was super involved in church, and I was a Lutheran Sunday school teacher, and take religion out of it. Um, I think even if you ascribe to the golden rule of you know doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, we did a ton of volunteer, a ton of building homes, uh, not a t I, maybe not that specific activity, but giving back. Um, I think when you put your put others first, it is, uh, I don't do enough of it now, let's say it like mm -hmm. that. Like I, I would love to do more of that and incorporate that in my modern life or my current, but it is such a, you view things differently. You just, uh, some people do not have what you have. And, and if you have it, um, I, I say a lot at WISE or at other times that even to my team, if you have one hand reaching up, you damn well be having one hand reaching down, pulling somebody else up with you. It's just, it's, you have to have a quid pro quo. And you but have that's to how you sure. lead your teams, though. So I think you're doing yeah. it. It may just not be a formal charity or a, you know, as right. you probably yeah. did as a... It doesn't have to be that explicit that it's, I'm doing this with the food depository right. or Big Brothers, sure. Big Sisters. Those are all great. But there are ways you can provide that example uh, every day with the people you work with, and that's important. I mean, that's why I, I ask that question because sometimes that can come from family, which it sounds like it did, yep. or it's, you know, activities, sports, or you're in you know drama and or those kinds of things. You you pick that up. And I interviewed it. everyone in your workplace and found out that <laughs> you are a servant I mean, leader. No, I, it's I mean, <laughs> hey, there's you know, and, and I thank you for that. You guys are both. So I I think um, there's always opportunities to improve, and that's not being. It's just it's. Uh, I think that if my favorite leaders, the leaders that I look up to personally, are those who espouse those values and who really are trying to say, hey work your ass off, do good work, be honest, be authentic, be humble, and, and lift other people up with you. And I think if you can do that, you stand a really good chance. Um, I, there was a quote on Instagram, or not a quote, but it's just, uh, you know, you are never too important to be kind. Mm -hmm. You're never too important, no matter what your title is. Now, do you have time or whatever, but you're never too, you're never better than anybody else. 
and you never know what anybody else is going through. I think we were talking about that a little bit before the podcast began, but yeah. it's just, you have a fundam. I fundamentally believe you need to be nice to other people. Yeah. And we've, uh, pretty much across the board lost that. It's certainly the problem, I find that to be maybe the, the biggest problem with social media right now is that there, there is no empathy and there's assumptions that are made and you see it whether that's sports that yep. people can make these quick judgments that you know they have no idea what's going on in the locker room or on the bench or even in their heads out in the field and that they're making these assumptions and they don't know that you know, their, their kid is sick. They're, you know, they're actually, they're physically have some issue there. You know, there's all, all kinds of things that people just jump to this and just start, you know, trolling and, and being vicious. And I, I don't know what it is to get us to step back from that. I'm hoping that some people like both of you continue to be in leadership roles to provide, you know, legit examples to other people like, Oh, I don't, I don't have to be this, Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody's an asshole, mm. and so I believe everybody carries around a garbage bag. Some of us have light ones, some <laughs> of us great, have heavy ones. It's a great, and analogy. you can offer when you're strong to help carry some other people's garbage. And some of it is just garbage of like, hey, let me let me help you with that project. Let me take it. Doesn't have to be all heavy life issues. But I really think we're here to. Well, how did you like? So we heard Amy or Julie. Um, Amy, of a little bit more of her background. Where do you get that from? From coming from your angle, like what was? Were you big in sports? Were you big in, you know, theater? Were you big in, you know, what was it? And and then you know, who helped shape you to show you that? Because I've seen a lot where some, you know, environment, nature, nurture argument that sometimes, you know, you, you can be taught the good stuff or you can be taught mm-hmm. the bad stuff. What? Where were you seeing these examples of? carrying the, ba- the garbage bag for others, for example. Well, my first job, it was the party master at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and you, so that's, that's where it all you, started. You, no, I used to help plan the birthday party. So Which Chuck E. Cheese? Well, in this? Omaha, Nebraska. In so Omaha, yeah, that, yeah, okay. it was very exciting. So, and you were know, you in school at that point? Or I you... was. I was, well, I was probably 14. You could get a job a little younger back in my day. Well, um, back in the country, back yeah, in, yeah, back in Nebraska. in Nebraska, you get a job. If, you could drive a car, right? You could do whatever. Actually, my mom, I think, had to pick me up. Uh, but that's how I became good at skee ball. But that's another story, all in itself. Well, how did so? Wait, but Chuck E. Cheese. Get, yes. So, how did you? Were you? Did you like that place and think that would be amazing to work there? Were you at the other end going, okay, this is the last job left in town? Even the the fry guy at McDonald's. That, that job just got taken. So, you know, I'll just make the best of this. And you ended up loving it. I mean, like, how did you end up there? That's a great story. It is. And it has formed my life to where it is today. And I know that sounds strange. One, I've mm-hmm. never um, worked at a place that wasn't associated or f- affiliated with a mascot. Mm, so Fun fact. We, we have a current mascot at BMO. It's Hubert. Oh, yeah. That's Hubert right. T. Lion. Uh-huh. You know, I always work. I was at Northwestern. We had Willie the Wildcat. And you know, UVA, we could go on and on about all the mascot friends that I've had throughout my life. So that is a ridiculous nugget that you can take with you. That was my first job. I was a lottery ball. See? Missouri lottery. I went up really? and down as a, oh yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. I, I, I empathize <laughs> with too, all the right? mascots. All the mascot friends we have. Yeah. But truly what was interesting about this job is that, you know, mothers are trusting a 14 year old girl to make sure their child's experience is impeccable. And you have to remember, these are children. 
probably nap time's a little challenging. Probably they want to eat pizza. They want their friends to have fun, but they want to get in and out quickly. So that was truly became my passion of making it easy. Julie calls me. Their child wants to come in and have a birthday party. And I said, Julie, you know, thank you, Mrs. Heffercamp, for calling. We will let little Andy's birthday be perfect. As soon as you get there, you come to the front. You ask for me. I will escort you into your table. I'll show you where everything is. No, wait a minute. Were you, you so see little Amy? Like, yeah. The exact question yeah. is, I'm picturing a 14. Were yes. you... Not, you, I love structure and wired. organization. <laughs> right. It is ask my team; they hate it. Right, right. <laughs> I but love you were, structure. You were doing that even at fourteen, like because I wanted something in the world taught me that I wake up every day happy, ready to go. What am I going to f and conquer? And so that is what I get to wake up to. But not everybody gets that. I get it. We were talking earlier right. about some people wake up and said, "Ugh, how's this day going to go?" And so that is an awesome gift that I was given to wake up and say, I'm going to go conquer. And maybe I'm just going to conquer my job or do a PowerPoint today. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be change the world. Sometimes it's just get up and go get my favorite coffee and I've conquered something. But at that age, I came to a realization that I was like, okay, I have, I'm, I'm gifted with this line of like, I can help people. I can do something. I don't know what that means. I can motivate people. So at the time of 14, I was like, I'm going to help these moms. These kids are going to have a great birthday. They're going to have a great experience, and I'm going to be able to help them do that. And so, yeah, crying children, Chuck E. Cheese walking around. Not everybody is a, a, a lot of people are afraid of mascots. If oh, you, yeah. yeah. Like you have children. I'm oh, yeah. sure there's some yeah. issues back in the day of like, I don't want to be near that. Right. A Santa or an Easter bunny. Yeah. I'm, yes. <laughs> Easter bunny is very scary. They're, they're freaked out. Right. <laughs> and so my job is to get down to their level and Santa's talk and scary. learn. Yeah, they are scary. But I'll tell you through that entire experience, A, I don't have children and that's probably why. <laughs> Um, and I don't want them. I mean, I, I'm sh- they're lovely. I love my friends' children, but but, but at it the also, end of the night you give them back. yeah, give them back. <laughs> but it also teaches you just patience and listening. And my mom and dad were very patient people in their own right. And it really are you d- like your mom or or dad or both? Were they sunshiny? At first, I only thought or? I was like one. And now when you age and get older, you sit back and you can just see what you take and learn from both of them. And I'm very lucky. I think the lessons that I learned were, and you know, it could be a Midwest thing, but it was like work hard. And I love to hustle and I love to work hard. And in that, no job is too small or too big to say yes to. So I'm always about, if Julie's like, hey, I need someone to take notes in this thing. Doesn't sound like fun, but wait a minute. It's probably a meeting that I could learn something. I'd be like, oh, Julie, I'm happy to do it. I'm not taking a lunch today or whatever it is. And so any job I've ever been in, and I'm sure you're going to ask us later, is that's what I do. I say yes to big or small. And anytime I've said yes, it's opened a door, probably not the door I thought it would open, but it's opened a door for some opportunity. Whether it's get to know a human that we end up being close friends, or whether it's an opportunity to meet somebody and learn from them or develop from them, or I've gained several mentors and mentees through that process. Now, were you an only child? Were you like, I picture more like there was like 12 siblings or something where she's like totally <laughs> Where I'm hosting birthday parties yeah. every day. Like, and you, you grew up, we didn't, we just skimmed over it, but you grew up in Nebraska and in, in Omaha, right? Yeah. 
And so, but were you an only child? No, I, my brother was born seven years. So I was an only child for seven years. So I had the reign of the house. You were a second mom yes, to him. Yes, exactly. That that. Okay. Exactly. But then I also have a brother and sister who are 30 years younger than I. So they live in Vegas. Yeah, they live in Vegas with our, yeah, they just turned 14 like a couple days ago. So oh it's God. awesome. So my yeah, mom's having working at Chuck E. Cheese next week. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll, yeah, they'll be starting in the Vegas Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> next week. They just hit Chuck E. Cheese. Age. Uh, what is that? Concierge yes. or whatever I've sent them my visor and my, my whatever it is. You know, that whole... Ski ball is great. It's uh, obviously, I'm the, the best at taking the train off the tracks, but there's a, a great uh, How I Built This podcast Guy Raz talks to, and I'm blanking on the guy's name, but the guy who started Chuck E. Cheese was, I think, the original founder of Atari or something oh like gosh. that. Mm-hmm. And he sold that off and he got into this animatronic stuff. Mm-hmm. I have to go figure out the find the guy's name. I'll put it in the pod description, but it's that can be podcast number three. Part three. We can look it up right now as yeah. well. <laughs> exactly. All right. So Chuck E. Cheese. Where'd you go from there? I mean, you can only go down from there. Where did you well, go from there? I thought I better go to college. So I and went. Why not Big Red? Well, I know. Isn't that crazy? Well, most of my family went to Creighton. And so we were maybe five, 10 minutes from Creighton University, which is an amazing institution, but it was too close to home. Right, right. Too close to home. And so I had family that lived out in Virginia. And East Coast just really intrigued me. Different. Bigger city, really wanting to learn. My parents were big on... Quite as flat. Yeah. (laughs) My parents were big on traveling and learning about other cultures. It didn't have to be across the world, but I'm very lucky. I've been to every state, so I've slept and had a meal in every state but one. Um, Which one are you? I'm I'm missing Alaska. Okay, I'll switch you. We'll go on a road trip. I'm Idaho. All right. I'm at 49. Love it. Well, now Julie and I have a road trip to plan when we're done with this okay. podcast. What but were you your parents? Come with us? Well, yes, I do because yeah. I haven't been to either. So, uh, your parents were they? What were they? What did they do? What were their professions? Were they? My dad was in hospital administration. My mom was a special needs teacher, and then she became a administrator, which helped place special ed and special needs kids. And you notice a lot of times when kids don't communicate right away. Is it um, maybe it's English as a second language? So they may just have a language barrier and not need as much special needs care. So my mom was both amazing, That's awesome. both patient. It really, really taught me a lot. And so it was like, well, it's time to grow. And I thought, why not grow out east, learn something? There was family out there. And I looked at a bunch of different schools and I came upon, upon this small school called George Mason and the George Mason University in Fairfax, <laughs> Virginia. Um, they did get notoriety several years later for sports, and that's why I love sports. And my passion grew for sports before that, but why I love it is because it does bring things to the to the forefront, whether it's a school that increased 300% in applications, not admissions, but applications, or sports brings you a passion or connection, or we can tease Julie about her love for the Cardinals, and it really does connect people. Oh, so when I started looking at that this could be a career, 
And at the time, we didn't have the interweb. In my first job, I was, you know, the AOL chat room girl, you know. So, yes, you would see the back of my head. Yeah, but this is very different chat rooms. Right, Julie, not like the chat rooms you grew up in. I was... I was I was sitting next it's to the clean. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. It's not. I was I, sitting next <laughs> to the announcers and sliding them questions, and then they would write me the answers, and I would type it back as we were watching the hockey game in U.S. Airways Arena. So it was very. It's the new mm-hmm. when social media, quote unquote, was new, and when AOL was the biggest thing since sliced bread. So because I said yes to. Going out east, I said yes to my first internship at Home Team Sports. And then I just continued to say yes. A producer stopped by a group of interns and he's like, hey, we need somebody to hold the parabolic mic at a preseason game against the Ravens. Anybody interested? I raised my hand right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anybody interested in holding the cards at a baseball game so they can read the cues? Raise my hand. And so it taught me a lot about TV production, which continued to give me opportunities in the future. Now, did you, were you at the same time with, do you know TK Gore? I do. I'm, now, were you at school at the same, because you both went. He's older or much older. No, he, he's only a year older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but TK and I worked together. Yes. Yeah, okay, I learned a lot from he, him. Because you were also then at, what was it, Home Team Sports? Oh, we or were, yeah. I remember, right? And, mm-hmm. I know. He was, uh, he was, what, podcast number three or three? Yeah. So it's a long time ago now. He's old, he super is old, old. He but is a great, old. great he's human. A, he is a fantastic human being. But uh, you were at the Mizzou at the same time as you're younger than, than Sean Callahan. And he, he had Dan Magala mm-hmm. teach a class. Did you, you Were you in a... You didn't get subjected to Dan McGalla teaching. No, uh, you know, what's funny is that I have heard about this mythical man uh, for all these years. (laughs) I just recently, a few months ago, got to meet him. Dan is amazing, a huge champion of just Mizzou and and all uh, all good things. Heard a lot about, obviously, his report and and everything that he did, even from a journalism perspective. Yeah. Uh, But I did not know... I've heard about him all through Chicago, right. and I finally just got to meet him. A, a lot of this, uh, yeah, mythic because of the, so many people overlapping. But yeah, he was uh, what is great he guy. like Pod eighteen or something like that? I don't have the list up in front of me, but yeah, he's he's a great guy. Other than the Mizzou stuff, that, hey, uh, hey, 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 well, am I going to get a break here? We <laughs> no, <laughs> not a chance. You know, fast forwarding a, a, a little bit, was that your first? Uh, you know, air quotes for Amy, real job was home team sports, and then yours was was it? Revolution was the mm-hmm. first one, and what were you working on at Revolution? SJ and I did some work on uh, Roadway. Um, oh, right, and it was That's a, it, was, it was, was a sponsorship activation where we actually it was it was a wonderful integration. Talking about a little bit of what we did earlier or we referenced earlier, uh, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum um, and right. all of Major League Baseball. So yeah, it may have been seven dollars an hour, but I got to get in and and ultimately. Uh, go around to, I think it was, my goodness, at least 30 were on the schedule, 30 Major League Baseball parks, put on activations, almost akin to almost a BMO thing in the fact of uh, sponsorship activations on site. I uh, got to play baseball or softball at Yankee Stadium, old Yankee Stadium. Oh, wow. Um, and do all these great things. And it was it was really fun to get in. Obviously, the, in the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and what they have out in Kansas City is exquisite. I encourage everyone to go check it out if they haven't. But um, getting to be around that, and, and that is your kind of first real job, uh, at least in, in your new city, and then also working with Anheuser-Busch at night. And was that, was Roadway underwriting like a tour of part of the museum? Is that like 
part an exhibit or or you know, is that am I did, mixing we, these up? We did. I think it was. Oh my gosh! Now we're stretching it. It was a few years ago, thirteen years ago. But if memory serves, we had like a double wide in terms of bringing the museum a little bit on tour, and you had you know, elements of roadway and, and their connection, and then you had also just those those sponsorship elements of what we did on site at all the baseball parks. Cool. Over now, you mentioned that was thirteen years ago, yeah. and you've been here eight. Wow. So mm-hmm. what flies. what else did you time does, time fly. does fly? What else did you do in between those two? Was it more sports heavy? Was it event and experiential stuff? Like sure. So I um, I reference I was moonlighting at night, you know, with USMP, um, part of the marketing arm and, and all of that, which is actually interesting because a little bit of a segue. But when I was referencing that I was applying between Chicago and Dallas, one of the jobs that I had in Dallas was going to be with. Uh, USMMP doing this thing at night. So the way that that was going to subsidize was work for TMA during the day and also then with USMP, which is that arm, work with Anheuser-Busch at night. And I was like, man, I was like, you know, $25 an hour could do it, but I want to be in Chicago doing the revolution or the the $7 an hour thing. Long story short, I applied on Craigslist (laughs) for a job. It said, do you love the nightlife? I respond, I say, yes. That's Turns not out something you reply to. I know, I know, I know. No, I know, I know but now, Don't do that anymore. It's, it's said a little bit better than that. But I, and I, the, then I go and I re- meet this random guy in a hotel. Okay. <laughs> oh, right. It's dangerous. I know, I know. It's nothing me too. Lean but uh, but uh, And it's the USMP job. So it was the Chicago-based version. So I, it's almost like how full circle. It's like uh, a little bit meta of, are you? do you always end up where you're supposed to be? And I got the job, and I did both things. From there, I actually took USMMP full-time, um, okay. did it for a little bit, then actually jumped to still Anheuser-Busch family into the Bud Light Maxim tour. So for two years um, with Big Shoulders uh, here in Chicago, their digital video firm, and we toured the country. We put on about you know, 50, 50-plus 50 Bud Light Maxim activations per year, so major parties, ragers if not, uh, a couple <laughs> Super Bowls. Uh, and did that for two years touring. Like literally, everyone that was a lot of the where you got the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I went to a company called Common Ground, which is a multicultural sure. firm. Yeah. Um, so you know, Ronnie Jackson, Ahmed uh, Sherman, um, they really took me under their wing. That was probably about three years there. Um, outstanding experiences. And was that partially that you had such a heavy Spanish background to be able to to make it work as the Caucasian blonde in a multicultural agency, right? Like you brought these worlds, different worlds together, frankly, that opened doors. Yeah, it was, um, I I, I think, you know, as as I look back on the time there, because it was definitely, you know, you, how do you market in a, in a Hispanic perspective or an AA perspective targeted, you know, on behalf of Miller Coors or Bacardi or what have you. And it really comes back to that thing of what I said is, I cannot prove to you that because I have X, Y, and Z that I'm going to be this person who is, um, I don't know, that fits into your mold or it right. answers that question. Like that, that's, that's for me would never be a way I would answer a question of I have a this friend or I have a that friend. Right. It's, it's just the wrong way to go, you know, but it is to say I, I can only promise you that I have, you know, two ears, one mouth and, and I go back to it, but it really did of I'm going to listen and I think I know marketing and I, I believe from that statement alone, I hope that you will trust that I'm the right, I'm the right hire. Um, I, I adored my time there. I thought that that group was outstanding. Um, what I learned, and it was on Ronnie Jackson's team, but they were great. They were, and and I think you know, we won a few X awards. And it was just, it was awesome. So from but, there, then it was the jump to Mosaic, and it's been here ever since. What was that on AB Business that brought you over here? Since they've had so much, or was it actually 
what you know what brought you what, decided it was time to change yeah what brought again. me here we had a little bit of changes specifically on client business too we had run a lot of sprites uh you know big we did one of the at Common Ground, one of the largest ever step competitions in the U.S. history. Oh, cool. Um, so it was $100,000 in academic scholarships that we did. Uh, I learned a ton about stepping, and it just my appreciation for it is, yeah. is through it's the a, roof. It's, it's, it stepping is, is un, un, if you t- don't know it, Google it, YouTube it. It is, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's absolutely. Uh, so, you know, and I had been involved in sororities, and I think we did a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of HBCUs and our HBUs and, and oh my gosh, HBCUs, I said that right, and all their uh, sorority activations. But um, yeah, I digress. We, the jump to Mosaic was strictly based on a opportunity. And then I made a total move that I had not done before and to go into tech. So oh, okay. I, I interviewed, uh, it was kind of a classic case of, I, I say, you know, I say through LinkedIn, sometimes you just, you're putting yourself out there and it was on a job board. And I think the experiential marketing job board, I applied to Nikki Kushner and I said, Hey, we're on here. They said, you know, do you need any experienced account managers? I replied, I think I was in interviewing maybe the next day or the day after didn't hear anything for a month. And my other friends had interviewed who I had sent through. They actually got hired and I was like, man, wait, uh, if you really know me, and I don't know how PC, can we be totally transparent on this podcast? Of course. Uh, I had one of my worst interview moments of my entire life during that interview for Mosaic. It was horrific. The, now, the first time, when you, and then you didn't hear for a month? Yes. Okay. So um, you're thinking, I... Yeah, it, just, it was one phrase that I said in particular, which uh, <laughs> I still blush to this day of how bad it was. Um, and uh, are you, I can tell the you, story. Yeah, yes, tell yes. the story. Um, I'm at the edge of my cushion. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, you've never heard this before? Probably, but it's, tell it again. <laughs> and, and I'm going to, so mind you, you're eager, right? You're eager to take a new opportunity. You're eager to right. say, and this, and Nikki, who I was, I was, you know, we're getting along like peas and carrots and I was, uh, I loved her, you know, I love her to this day. And she's asking, you know, are you organized? And I was like, well, yeah, you're in events. I, th- I think you have to be. And she's like, I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not anal or anything. I'm more like anally flexible. <laughs> <laughs> so I said that I'm anally flexible in an interview. And I literally don't know if my face goes all white or all red. I am mortified beyond belief. I try and take it back immediately. I'm like, I, I didn't know. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Um, and she's like, no, it's just an interesting way of phrasing things. So it was awful. It's, I mean, I think it just goes to show that, you know, the ending is a happy story that I get called. I get hired. I've always so been here. gone from anally flexible to happy endings. Yeah. yeah. I, I know. Oh, God. oh my God. Please this, take this out. This take is, this out yeah, of the this podcast. Need to this part out, right? um, no, but it's just, it's uh, everybody messes up. It was an honest mistake. I was trying to say that, hey, you're not, you know, super organized. You can right. be more, you know, but, but it was... That, 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 well, that's a testament a little bit to you that you showed all these other things that it was a simple, silly little mistake and and people gotta have to look back because second chances are important. You keep, you keep screwing it up, you keep putting your foot in your mouth, then I could see a problem. You do it one time and yep. that's... Anyway, so yeah, that's a definitely a memorable. And so they still they were either really desperate or you really. I'm sure them, absolutely desperate at really the time. You, uh, otherwise, all these other skills. Yeah. So, all right, and so then you've been here Mosaic as it's grown from, you know, under 20 people to 250 or so. You mm-hmm. said here in Chicago. So, all right, so now we're we're up to modern day, current day on on your end. Potter, you have like 25 different places you've worked in between. You were at. Um, 
after you had started at Home Team Sports, I'm trying to think of what was next. I got to cheat and look over here. Well, no, I, um, after working with TK and learned so much from him, he's going to pay me later for all the good (laughs) things that I say about him. It actually, you know, we talked about it earlier about your work ethic and hard work and you don't realize maybe who's watching and you don't mean that as just make sure you're on your game because you never know who's watching, but be your authentic self and do what you do normally because every career step I've had, it's been because someone's like, I like her work ethic. I like how she works. I want her part of my team. So we were at Home Team Sports, and back in the day, that's when coaches' shows were really, really popular. And everybody did one on regional sports networks. So we had UVA as one of our coaches' shows. And I had met the people from UVA in an event, and they were just starting a group called Viacom, CBS Sports, Collegiate Sports Properties, was had just gotten the rights. And they were trying to find someone who could run their event and sponsorship execution activation side. And they were new. They were young. I was like, oh, I'll go down, look at UVA. I love DC. I can't believe I would ever leave, but we'll see. I go down there, fell in love with the property and the opportunities and my bosses and my colleagues, we were all just excited. We were building a whole new thing. So, of course, for my Chuck E. Cheese experience of building structure and organization, that was spot on. And I had a mascot, checks the last <laughs> box. We had our Wahoo. Um, so, for me, it was just a perfect fit. Then I started looking at what the salespeople were doing. And I got that itch. And that's what I talk about selling. And I went to my boss and said, I want to try selling. And he was a strong boss, but also a protective boss because he didn't want me to go out of the gate and fail because he wanted me to be a successful seller. So I had the opportunity to go on sales calls with people. He helped me polish my sales style, helped me... Really? You be, were, he had patience and I know. belief in you that it wasn't like, okay, if you don't sell in the next three calls, you're, you're, we'll move on to the next person. Mm-hmm. Actually, you got a chance to see how to do it right. And mm-hmm. oh my God. Shout well, out how, to Rich a, Klein. There's, what, I mean, what a, I mean, honest to God, what a blessing. Mm-hmm. And with that opportunity, he said, you can hire somebody to take over that event activation. You can oversee them, teach them all your passions, all you know, and you can continue to sell. And so then a couple of years later, that salesperson moved over because he wanted to do more operations, become a general manager somewhere. And so that gave me an opportunity to grow and be more of a a spot-on salesperson. And as I talk about that growth, I wish more men and women would take on and embrace the sales process because you can be such a great sale. You need to be a salesperson because we need to sell ourselves for our jobs, our careers. But it gave me so much confidence and I'm more of a needs seller and needs analysis. I'd sit down and say, you know, I've researched your organization. I know what's going on, but let's get under the hood and really talk about your pain points and maybe I can help you. And if it's HR, cause they can't retain people or if it's branding, you really can learn how you can help someone's business and find out what their boss wants. Because ultimately I see my job as how can I help my boss achieve what he or she needs to achieve? So as a passionate seller, and I always will be because I love to sit down with people that sell, I'm like, how's the funnel? What can I do to help you fill your funnel? Well, let me ask you something about Mm -hmm. that, though, that with sales, 
and I hear you that it, basically I had to, I had to get over the hurdle because I had a very much a stigma with just selling of this perception that it's mm-hmm. salespeople are it's all uh, you know used car salesmen mm-hmm. they're slimy and just trying to make a buck and and I was like I you know I don't like that uh, but then I realized pretty much everything you do you have to sell. Mm-hmm. Whatever. If you probably sell service. your wife every day oh, to stay to, in love to, with you, to, right? To even put up with me, absolutely. But um, <laughs> but it is like honest to God, there is always selling selling moments all day long. Whether you're you've got a, you're on client service, you've got to sell your client mm-hmm. not on the, well on the program, but then after that, like here's our solution mm-hmm. to this. Here's who we want to add to the team. Here's where change we need to make. So anyway, you get it. But there's a pro- there's to me, there's still a problem of finding the passion because mm-hmm. if you don't believe in it, I think it's impossible, basically. You're certainly not authentic in selling it. Mm-hmm. You're blessed with it, I think, of you've got the good attitude and you, like you said, oh, how can I help you fill the funnel? You mm-hmm. get that. Can you teach it to other people if they don't have that? Or do you, do you think everybody has to really have the passion to be able to sell? I think you, I think passionate people and people who, yeah, I do. I think everybody has the ability to sell. I really do. But they don't know it because they have not, I was lucky and had leaders that helped coach me in that direction because I said I wanted to try it. But I had a net, which not often new sellers don't have nets. They start out maybe at the ticket office and they're like, well, if you don't sell 5,000, here's your, here's your, um, phone book, maybe they don't give them a phone book anymore, that right. here's the interweb, Google A through P, and start making calls. Right. And so, you have to hit this number, and if you don't, in the next 30 days, we'll find somebody else. Exactly. And there's no skills or very little skills There's no setting, if, building a sales right. team, developing your sales funnel, teaching individuals that, you know what, Julie may be a needs analysis seller where she comes in and she wants to learn. You may be one that's like, I want to look at this deck. I'm going to show you every page. But everyone finds their own style. But you also have to know how to relate to the person that you're selling to because that person may not even want to look at a single page of the deck and they just want to talk. Or that person really only has 15 minutes. Don't draw it out for two hours. Mm -hmm. And so it's also learning to read people. And I think that is more selling than anything. Well, did you? how much of that did you learn and how much of that was this innate 14-year-old who was organizing all the Chuck E. Cheese parties? Um, because there is, there's, again, nature, nurture. There's some stuff mm-hmm. that you've got and some that you don't. How, how much of that did you learn? Because you've got it. You, fi- you figured it out. You know, where, where did it come from to understand, like you said, that's, that's the problem. I don't want to have somebody, to me, certainly, I don't want somebody to come with a, a deck. I can read. I can leave that behind and mm-hmm. I can read that. Don't read it up on the screen to mm-hmm. me. Because I'll read it faster than you, and then I'm bored out of my mind. Mm-hmm. But how did you learn to gauge the room, gauge the people, be able to, you know, make that um, process that and, and and make that adjustment? Curiosity. So. So did you? Okay. So then that leads to my other question, though. <laughs> and to tie this in is when you wanted to change. Would you want to just try something different when you were talking about selling, or did you? Or, and did you think, okay, I can go make more money this way? Or, you know, what what was in your head when you said, I want to sell? Both. So it, it was, was. A, you know, what am I, probably 25 at the time. I had had great experience at HTS and learned about the TV side and took risks and did a lot of things and had great adventures and then moved on 
to UVA and I was like, okay, this is really interesting to me. And I had a passion growing up in Nebraska, being a Husker fan, I had a passion for college athletics. So the business side of college athletics was a great way to embrace the passion. And then being able to say, okay, what how else can I could develop? Sales, yes, is a lot where the money is. Doesn't mean the money's always there, but the opportunity, the fear of failure or the fear of not trying. I had a boss and I committed myself around that time to say, I will try and be that boss for others, that I will let the opportunity, like, let's go. Let's let's go find your sales style. Let's teach your sales style. My sales style is definitely more friendly in the way of if I walk into somebody's room and I see a photo of their family, as a woman, I can usually ask, oh my gosh, you have children? Tell me about it. More men don't gravitate to the family photos. Maybe they gravitate to the football on the table and say, oh, did you play sports or the trophy? So for me, I can leverage, you know, I don't wear low cut shirts. I don't do that. But I can leverage <laughs> my ability to be observant and my ability to say, okay, how am I going to connect with this person on a personal level so that they can feel comfortable and we can have a good dialogue? And in the end, if they say no, it's okay. I've heard thousands of no's, but it doesn't hurt my feelings. It grow. It challenges me to say, what could I do better? And what could I do better next time? It's just like when I get an, an email from somebody who didn't get the job and they say, Amy, thank you for your time. What could I do differently to prepare or be a better interviewer in my next role? Those are the type of people that I'm like, okay, they get it. And it could have just been, you didn't get the job because I need this type of human in this role and you are not that type of human. Can I give an example go, of where Amy go. did a good selling job? Oh, yes. oh yeah. She sold me on the wise president role. Uh, I think what she did great in there, and, and I'm I'm sitting here looking at her, but there there is no joke here. I think she's exceedingly emotionally intelligent and can detect where there's hesitancy, where there's concern. And I think, yes, I mean, we'd be lying if we said people weren't in it for the money or that that's that's an attractive part of it. But I think what is beyond that is what you do really well is you are there for the long term. You're not in it for the quick hit. And it's I'm I'm developing a relationship with you, and if we do this and it's a one off, it, it's not good for anybody. Like I'm here to right. solve. What I like to try and tell because we're in a selling role too in client service. Yeah. Um, that's all that we do from anything from building decks to pitching. I mean that's that's just part of agency life on the client side. And what I like to say is it's not necessarily about sales, it's about solutions. Um, and, and quite honestly, that's why it's Mosaic Sales Solutions. It sounds hokey even, in the, but it's I'm trying to say for you, it's not about the money. How can I drive your business or your need? One of our, our favorite phrases is what keeps you up at night? What is your problem and how can I, how can I help you get over that hump? And the more that you know, she... Uh, so furthering that example, she said, I said, hey, I, I turned it down. She asked about the wise president. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> she said, why? And I said, I don't have the time. And I was very concerned. I'm an all or nothing girl that if I couldn't give it what I thought the organization deserved, I was hesitant to uh, give it, you know, half, half, half effort. And she goes, okay, what's, I mean, in true Amy fashion, I'm just laughing how you suckered me. But uh, she was I like, what's going to make you say yes? What is going to make you overcome this? Always, always be closing. Always, always be closing. closing. ABC. ABC. No. Um, and she, I said, uh, for you to be on all national calls with me for six months. And she did it. To her word and to her testament, I technically have held the wise president role now for a year and a half. And really, I've been on my own for a year. 
Right. It's accredited to obviously the incredible board that we have. And I know we'll maybe get into it, but like the woman there are rock stars in their own entity. But the fact that she held true, she was on every single call with me and maybe didn't say a word, but I just knew she was there. I sneak in and out. I did it the other day. She wasn't happy. I crashed her meeting. You I was oh like, my, oh, now, now I'm like, get off the calls, Amy. <laughs> get chairwoman, get off the calls. But she, I think when you talk about sales, uh, you said something really, uh, I thought exquisite earlier, of just curiosity. Sometimes it's just asking the question. Like, oh, do you know about this? Do you know about the service that we have? And whether they take it or not, but the fact that you're planting a seed in somebody's head for a later date to come back and say, this could be part of a solution that I have. It's part of my subset, whether you need the tool now or not. But that's the, that, and that's the key of the sales in, in sponsorships and partnerships and events and experiential. It's not um, buying a car. Mm-hmm. It's not, or uh, you know, a computer or cell phone or something that you're looking for. Very specific. You've got a very specific uh, decision-making grid. Basically, what's the cost? What are the features? It's pretty black and white. You've got to. That's where I run into. That's where I don't think people c- can almost succeed in selling. Is that you've got to give it some time to, to plant the seeds and bow up. And as the salesperson, you've got to learn to be better of connecting and finding the right angle to take, basically. But as the manager, like, okay, well, okay, we didn't succeed there. What's the way that you're going to get better next time? So to you as a salesperson, because you've sold with, you know, with, uh, at Northwestern and Maryland and UVA and, and, um, you know, even at the bank, and at the, well, at the bank, right. So you, you've got the, is, is there a go-to place or book or person? I mean, it's not that cut and dried, I know, but like when somebody says, what's one, something I should go read or a philosophy I should go look at. First I say, be your authentic self. People can tell when you're not authentic and you're not passionate about what you're selling. So if, I'm not a, and not saying be a super fan, but if I'm not passionate about whatever team I'm believing in or whatever it is, you'll be, someone will be able to tell. They're like, great, I'm just a 15 minute call, a 20 minute call. And then listen, too many sales calls. We try and give everybody 30 minutes. And whether it's me or a colleague on the phone with someone for 30 minutes, if you spend 29 minutes talking about your property, I'm very disappointed if you haven't Googled me and figured out that I worked in college athletics and you spend the first 20 minutes telling me about what college athletics is yeah. and what the university is and who it is, I'm very disappointed because I've been to most of the Spitting universities. stats and, and stuff like that. And yeah. so it really is about, Amy, I've seen what BMO does. I've seen X, Y, and Z. Right. What markets are you struggling in? Where do you need help? Where's the business? Give so that you can come back with the proposal. Will you present the proposal again to me on the phone? Probably not, and I'll look at it. But you could tip the scale of when we're divesting out of something else that we will put you on the table, that proposal on the table, and say, this was interesting. Let's take a look. So we do have a process, but I really... I get sad when salespeople... um, are wasting the time. And I tell them they're wasting time usually at the end because I'm a, I'm a salesperson at heart and I love sellers. So I want to give as many sellers the time, but they also have to respect the buyer's time. And they also have to understand the buyer's issues may not be the issues you think. So yeah, right. don't, you didn't say assume you said, listen, and mm-hmm. then you got to 
actually process it, mm-hmm. not just pretend to listen. Like right? maybe my, and this is not an issue, but maybe BMO's issue is employee retention. So then that property, that sports team should come back to me and say, hey, we're going to give you um, one day free in our practice facility and you and your employees can come out and we'll run a clinic. Or maybe my employees all coach um, their kids' soccer. So their kids are very important to them. Then I want Northwestern men's and women's soccer coaches doing a clinic for the parents. And then I want the kids and the players doing a clinic for the you know five-year-old kids. Right. Like come to me with real right. solutions. And those are things that I think lazy salespeople don't come to. Are there books? I read them all because I love to educate and grow my sales style, whether it's growing to go back in the big bad world of sales or to continue to grow my sales internally so I can help my frontline sell. All right. I think that's a good spot to break. I'm going to call a a timeout here and we're going to move over to uh, part two after uh, we come back. All right. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Amy Potter and Julie Haffer-Camp. And if you did, uh, hang around because the next pod in the queue will be part two. Check out the description for links to connect with Amy, Julie, and Wise Chicago. Make sure you check out Pod 48 for part two that will be out tomorrow. And uh, I'm going to get out of your ears. Lots of good stuff to do. Enjoy summer. And until next time, it's Chris Hartwick saying, stay connected, friends. <laughs>